When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. All right, Reds. Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Darwin Nunez. Six months on from arriving at Anfield. What are we thinking? He's mad, he scores goals, he misses two, but is he the man to move Liverpool's forward line on? To answer that, James Pearce and Andy Jones are here with me. First of all, chaps, three words on Derwin. <laughs> Lively, erratic, potential. I'd go with nightmare for defenders. I'd say pretty damn good, personally. But, you know, it's uh, I, I, I don't understand the criticism he's getting for the way he plays. I think he's been excellent. If you would have said to me six months ago when he arrived that he'd have 10 goals by this stage of the year, I'd be going, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I like that. So James, signed for 64 million, could rise to 85, 23 appearances, 10 goals, three assists, a red card, which, you know, I mean, it happens. What's your assessment? He's only 23. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Tony. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of his. I think, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think it probably, you know, he's had that much stick that I think that, that stat that came out last weekend when he scored his 10th goal that only Fowler, Torres, Sturridge, Salah and Jota have got to double figures in fewer appearances for Liverpool, I think, would have taken a lot of people back. But it, it just shows, you know, how reality sometimes can get skewed. And I think he's been unfortunate in the fact that, you know, the price tag is one thing that, you know, is obviously held against him. And that that's something that was completely and utterly beyond his control. Liverpool do expect that £64 million to, with all the add-ons, to, you know, potentially rise one day to £85 million, which obviously would make him the most expensive Liverpool player ever. And then I think you've got to throw into the mix. Again, it's, it's unfair, but it, it was inevitable there was going to be some kind of comparisons with Haaland and... And, you know, Haaland's a freak of nature, isn't he, with what he's done at, at Man City since he's gone in there. And I think I think people have also, got, you know, because you, I, I keep hearing and reading about, you know, he, Nunes costs more than Haaland. And it's like, well, actually, if you factor into the mix <laughs> wages and agents fees, and it's not quite as simple as all that. You know, the reality is that Liverpool could not have done a deal like the Haaland one, yet they were able to do Nunes with, you know, the instalments and everything else that that's built into that agreement. So, um, yeah, huge potential, but it's a project that Liverpool have taken on with him. He's 23 years of age before this season. He'd only played, what, two seasons at Benfica? Before that, he was in the second division in Spain. When I spoke to someone, Andy, uh, well, a couple of days after he arrived, and he said to me, you know what? We know he's not like Haaland. We know he's not the finished product. We know we're going to have to work on him. We can't afford to buy players who are actually 
complete, ready to go into the team at this stage. So what we've got, we've got someone who can grow and develop. I thought it was also interesting today, I saw on The Athletic, uh, an excellent piece by Alan Shearer about him, where he was saying he's not worried about him. He's, you know, he's getting into the positions for chances, so he will score. He said goal scorers worry when they're not getting chances. They, they, They dwell on the ones they miss, but as long as they're getting them and missing them, they're okay. But I thought that was an interesting, he said, he's not a goal-scoring freak like Haaland. He's a different sort of attacker. And he compared him to, he compared him to Salah, really. Oh, what, what do you make of that? Did you read the piece? I did, yeah. I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, I thought he, Alan made some really, really good points in there. And I agree that he's not a goal-scoring freak, but is anyone compared, when you compare him to Haaland? I think that's, that's the massive thing, isn't it? Haaland is on his own sort of planet, if you like, and, everyone, and then there's, you've got everyone else. That is the main thing that you have to take away from it when you when you watch Darwin Nunes is he's a guy who, who gets five, six chances and they're generally big chances as well. You know, they're not sort of half chances or he's not shooting from 30 yards out. And I'd much prefer him, as you say, missing chances than not having them at all. Um, because if he's, if he's sort of on the pitch and not really bringing anything to the game and when he needs to be alongside Mo Salah, your main goal scoring threat, especially with the injuries that Liverpool have got, and have had this season in in attack, you know, it's pretty much the goal scoring burden is down to those two. So as long as he's getting the positions, I always go back to the, the when he turned up at Anfield with Benfica and any, everything it went in basically, and or Allison needed an absolutely unbelievable save to keep it out. You assume he's going to find that again, and when he does that, that's going to be very very scary for <laughs> for opposition. What I would say on on his on his start and sort of how it's assessed. I don't think it's helped that Liverpool haven't been very good because if Darwin Nunes was in a Liverpool team that was winning and doing what they normally do and he scored 10 and 23, you would be hearing the chance about, you know, being like Andy Carroll and all that type of stuff. I, I just don't think it's helped that he's been in the team, which has been sort of as poor as it has been because I think that also skews not just the team performance, but all individual performance just because you then instantly think, well, you know, Liverpool are losing, so it must be because it's Darwin Nunes' fault. That's that's how you can look at it from an outside perspective as a of a fan who, who doesn't like Liverpool. When you step back and take his performances and what he's doing in isolation, I, I don't know how you could be unhappy with what he's contributed so far. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, we talk about him being an agent of chaos. I like that unpredictability. As uh, as a former centre half at times, uh, my peak was in the Kirby League, so that tells you how good I was. <laughs> but I hated players who were unpredictable. I hated players that didn't know what they're going to do. But more to the point, I've spoken to proper defenders at Premier League level, and they say the same thing. So that unpredictability, I think it will benefit Liverpool massively. What do you think, James? Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I I think that's what makes him so exciting to watch, isn't it? He has that kind of X factor to him, where you know you uh, you know how is that how is a defender supposed to be able to predict what he's going to do when sometimes it doesn't look like he's, he's quite sure himself. The other big thing that I I really admire about him is even even in games when he's missed two, three, four decent chances, never once have I seen him hide or and which which happens. You know, it's a natural thing, isn't it? When when your confidence is taken a battering. You know, it would be understandable if you're like, well, I'll, you know, I won't make that run. I won't demand the ball there. Give it to someone else. Let them take the responsibility. But I've, I've never seen that once from him. He does keep on coming back for more. And um, I thought it said a lot, actually, in terms of how well he took that goal last weekend against Wolves, that 
for me, he seems to be at his best when he's just playing off instinct like that, where it, everything happens fast. The problems have been so far for him when he's had loads of time to think about things. You think of some of the 1v1 chances he had, probably I can think of five, six, even seven since the World Cup away at City, Villa Park and, and away at Brentford, where you know he's dragged shots wide and got his angles all wrong. That, that's been his issue so far, where where he's almost had too much time to think about it. But, and that's, you know, as, as Alan Shearer, you know, he knows obviously a lot more about scoring goals than any of us do. And he, he said, you know, that's why he doesn't have any worries about him because he said, you know, all the, all the most difficult things he's got in abundance with, you know, the, the pace, the power, the intelligent movement, left foot, right foot, strong in the air. He said, you know, the, the, the other things, the, the, the rough edges are things that are quite easy to solve by working with someone on the training ground. And, that's why I do think it's inevitable that he will explode in terms of a goal-scoring force. I don't, I don't look at him and think, yeah, you're never going to be a, a prolific goal-scorer for Liverpool. I, I think he will be a 30-goal-a-season man at some point. It just might not be this season. One of the things that you made a point there, I mean, he doesn't strike me as someone who over-intellectualises the game. Over the years, lots of people have said to me, sportsmen, one of the biggest qualities they've got is the ability to forget, particularly strikers and goalkeepers. You make a mistake, put it out your mind, carry on, and you know, go back afterwards and learn from it. But during the game, forget. And that's a huge ability. And he does seem to have that, doesn't he, Andy? And he keeps getting these chances. I mean, he's, um, you know, he's in, in you know, 90 minutes in game, he's 5.68 chances. Mitrovic is the next highest with 4.5. And that, that's got to be a positive. I mean, you'd like, You'd like to put them to put them all in, especially the 0.68. But you know, I mean, it's a, it's still a positive. Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be nice if he scored five goals every game, which <laughs> every shot went in. It, it would be nice, wouldn't it? But yeah, exactly. It, it is that ability to forget. And I think what has been quite important is that the Liverpool fans have not sort of turned on him or you know shown frustration with him. I think that's been important because I think. There can be that situation where, you know, players miss a couple of chances and then suddenly the cards are on your back. And because, you know, of how the, how the season's going, every goal is, is so important to Liverpool at the moment because, you know, generally they're conceding as well. So they need to score in every every opportunity they can get, really. And I think if, if fans were starting to, to grow a little bit unsettled, disgruntled, you could imagine it might affect them in a different way. But I think what's been important is Liverpool fans have stuck with them. And when he's missed the chance... You know, usually you've heard the chant of the, the Nunes chant afterwards and because generally he's done something pretty spectacular to get into that situation in the first place or, you know, he's, he's done the right things to get himself in that position in that position and, and that, like, whether it's it's the run he's made or, like, like the, the Wolves goal that, you know, he, I think he wins that flick on, doesn't he, at the start of the move and then his, you know, breezes past the defender who's, who's supposed to be marking him and, and gets to the back post first and, um, it's just stuff like that and you know he knows he's going to get another chance so he knows he's going to have another opportunity and I think that's important obviously you don't want, to, want him to get too friendly with missing you, you want him to score but from a Liverpool perspective when you, you talk about his improvements it's needing to take that first chance to give Liverpool like the, like the Brentford game for example you know if, if he puts Liverpool 1-0 up changes the complexion of the game and stuff like that so you, you want him to take that first chance but equally I think he knows he's going to get so many chances during the game that it's like, okay, well, I'll just get the next one and I'll get the next one and I'll get the next one. 
Yeah, I mean, we don't want him to be the best non-scoring striker in the game. You know, we don't know, definitely not, definitely not. But, um, <laughs> you know, you looked at, in the Premier League era, only Fowler, Torres, Sturridge, Salah and Jota have reached 10 goals for Liverpool in fewer appearances than him. And, I mean, that kind of puts it into context, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does, it does, because, you know, that's that's quite an elite bracket to be part of, isn't it? And that, that kind of comes back to what we were talking about before, about the kind of the context and how things have been skewed by the Haaland effect. Certainly when you you speak to the staff at Liverpool, I don't think they were under any illusions. They knew that, you know, that Nunes wasn't the the finished article. I think there's similarities to a player that we haven't seen much of yet in Cody Gagpo. They both kind of fit into that bracket of players with rich potential that have produced elsewhere, but at a lower level. And then there's almost an inevitability and an acceptance at Liverpool that this is a kind of like a you know a rough diamond, if you like, and we'll bring them in, work with them and, and elevate them to the next level. And when you actually think about it, that's what Klopp has done throughout his reign, really. It's only probably Van Dijk and Alisson that you could argue were regarded as world-class talents before Liverpool signed them. You know, probably Diaz, Nunes and Gagpo all kind of, you, you could say similar to, you know, where Firmino... Salah and Mane were when Liverpool signed them because there weren't you know a host of elite clubs all around Europe sniffing around those three in the same way as as you know as Diaz obviously there was there was the Tottenham factor but Liverpool had a pretty clear run at Nunes at what they were prepared to pay for him in the summer and and obviously outwitted United to get Gagpo recently so yeah I think I think with that and with with an acceptance that this is someone that that is going to need to be coached and developed. That you have to, you have to be patient. I think one huge thing for Nunes, and you you can see it in his body language after every game, the way that he he goes to every side of Anfield and taps the badge on his shirt, and the support he's had uh, has been unwavering. And yeah, of course he's had stick on social media, and but I I have not heard one murmuring of discontent aimed in his direction home or away in any game this season. And and you can see what that means to him. You know, he's a hot-headed South American. We saw that on his home debut against Crystal Palace. Right, Anderson is the uh, player down now. And clearly, the referee saw something because he's just shown Darwin Nunez a red card. I think the biggest thing for the staff has not been their own expectations of him. It's actually been his own expectations in terms of just getting him to to not be so hard on himself and not beat himself up about the misses and when things haven't gone great for him. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is, in all the years I've been going the match, and it's a long time, you know, I started going in the 60s, and the one thing that, that the crowd love is someone who's putting maximum effort in. And the thing is, Darwin Nunez is putting maximum effort in, so no one can complain about him. And there's very little, there's very little moan in any of the games I've been to. Anyway, you're listening to Walk On, brought to you by the Athletic. The best word I can say, but uh, will describe this was boom. Tony Evans here with James Pearson, Andy Jones with Walk On from the Athletic. We've been very, very positive about Darwin Nunez in the first part of the show, but. Uh, let's get to the brass tacks. Let's get to the crux of the matter. He's great. He's fun. We love him. We love his development. But, you know, is he going to shoot Liverpool into the Champions League? 
Great question. Um, <laughs> it's one of them that even if he does go on this an unbelievable score and run, the way Liverpool are playing, <laughs> there's no guarantee that that's that's going to make you know a huge difference in terms of results. If if the midfield continues to be bypassed in the way it does, and the defense continues to lead goals, but that, I mean that's the hope, isn't it? He's certainly showing the right signs as as we've discussed, and and now it's about the time where we need him to to go on that goal scoring run and, and hopefully Wolves is, is sort of that catalyst. But the World Cup probably came in a bit of a bad time for him in terms of club form because I thought he was just beginning to get into that that rhythm, that mode of, of where he was, you know, either creating or, or you know, scoring goals. He obviously got the double against Southampton with the assist against Tottenham. And he was getting into that rhythm, so we just need him to, to refine that rhythm, basically. And I think, you know, he's he's certainly done everything right bar, put the ball in the back of the net so far in terms of the, the number of chances he's, he's had. So I think if Liverpool, if he can get on that goal-scoring run, then Liverpool's Champions League chances do certainly improve. You do want a bit more general improvement from Liverpool in that context as well. But it does feel like we've now been talking about he's going to come good, he's going to come good. And now it feels like this is the moment where kind of needs to come good. But um, we, we want him to come great. That's the problem. Well, yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and I'm sure he will, but good will do me for now yeah. in terms of just in terms of that goal scoring record and just, just getting on that, you know, that five in, in five or five in six, six in seven, you know, that type of form that, you know, he, he's more than capable of. And we all know that and we all can see that. And it'll just put Liverpool in a much better place because, you know, we keep talking about going behind in games. If he's the man who can keep putting them in front in games, um, that'll make a massive difference. And, you know, he's, he's crucial to the Champions League chances. If Liverpool have got any hope of getting into that top four, he's going to play a massive, massive part in it. Well, yeah, uh, James, I mean, you, you've written extensively about this, but he's not plan A, is he? Injuries have forced him to take on more responsibility and have more playing time than they initially expected. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, it certainly wasn't part of the plan that Liverpool would be without Diogo Jota and and Luis Diaz for so long. And that, that has suddenly kind of increased the workload and an expectation, I suppose, on Nunes and you know, and what Liverpool are trying to get out of him. And, you know, that that's made it made life more difficult in terms of the adaptation process for him. Because I'm sure there's been occasions when Klopp would have loved to have rotated and and given him a breather, but he's had to to play on through. And Nunes can only be a part of the solution, can they? I think it's it's far too simplistic to think that Liverpool just need him to go on a scoring run to clamber back into those top four places. You know, as Andy touched on earlier, you know, it, it, the the challenge facing him has been made a lot more difficult by the the kind of collective malaise running through the team in in terms of you know how vulnerable Liverpool have looked defensively the lack of control in midfield and also I think you know despite he's probably been the kind of lightning conductor for the criticism that Liverpool haven't been more ruthless in the final third but looking at the Opta stats Liverpool have created more big chances than anyone else in the Premier League this season 58 they've got the worst conversion rate in the Premier League 27% I think it is that's not just on on Nunes that's you know Salah has has been guilty of not being as clinical as we've come to expect from him as well you know, Klopp is wrestling with a lot of the minute to try and find solutions to the the array of problems that Liverpool's below par performances have thrown up, and the improvement in those other areas that would help Nunes as well. It, it's far too far too easy to just point the finger at him. Everyone's talking about Nunes and and 
and all that. But you've got Salah, who's been, if not quite below par, certainly not at the top of his game. And, you know, you made a point there, James, and I think that's important. The fact that he's not only going to adapt to Liverpool's style of play, they've got to adapt to his. But he's new to the Premier League, where a lot of players struggle with the pace and the physicality. And also living in a foreign country where, you know, the language is an issue. He's got loads of things going on. And in that context, he's, you know, he seems to be doing, doing all right. And do you think it's a case of, is it a case that the players around him need to be playing more to his strengths? I think, I think there's a, a point in that. Yeah. Because I think Liverpool have had a certain type of number nine for a number of years. In, in sort of in Roberto Firmino and I know Mane sort of you know went into that role the, the second half of last season. But Nunes is is a very, very different player to, to Firmino. Firmino is that that false nine, if you like, who drops into the pockets, links the play and and then you have Mane and Salah sort of as your, as your main goal threat sort of coming in off their two two channels. Whereas Nunes is is very different. He's the more of a proper number nine if you like in terms of you know, on the back line of defence, often to run in behind. And I, that, I think that does take a, a level of adjustment. I mean, the fact that Trent's first, you know, Trent and, and Nunes have only connected once for a goal, which was which was the Wolves one, is, is just really, really surprising and sort of sum, sums it up in a way in that, that it can take time to learn and, and, and understand exactly the types of, of balls Nunes wants and where he wants them and, and the runs he's going to make and, when the ball's going to be played, that's when he needs to start making his run rather than making the run too early and then the ball's played. So there's loads of elements of the adaptation. I mean, he's, he's learned, as you say, you know, new country, learning the language, all those types of things. But I think what he has been able to do, he's been able to get up to speed with the physicality and the speed of the Premier League very, very quickly. He's helped that by his physique. You know, he's so quick, he's so, he is very strong naturally. So he's not really, he, I wouldn't say he's been sort of bullied in any game. Maybe, maybe that Palace one, but that was a bit of an, a, you know, that was I think that was that experience that, you know, a player coming to a new league can have. But he's learned from that and he don't seem, you know, he, he might get engaged in a little bit of this and that every now and again. But, you know, he's he got a lot more used to it. Um, and I think he's, I think generally he's adapted really, really well and, and quite quickly compared to, to say, you know, with the players who, who may not have, enjoyed that that sort of adaptation period as much. James, where's his best position, do you think? I mean, on the left or in the centre? I mean, one of the problems I think that people haven't talked about enough, really, is the lack of thrust down the left because no one's managed to establish a relationship with Robertson the way Mane did. You know, it's not quite work there. It hasn't gelled. So where do you think he's best playing? Through the middle, I think. Um, but yeah, I think, it, again, it comes back to all the, the upheaval there's been because of injuries, isn't there? Because Diaz, you would have expected to to have been, you know, on the on the left, Nunes through the middle and, and Salah right. I think that was clearly going to be the, the strongest front three. And yeah, you'd have thought, especially with the, the Gagpo deal, with him coming in. And I know Klopp and Pep Linders love the fact that he is versatile, you know, like the other attackers and can play anywhere across the front line. But primarily... You know, I think Gagpo is a played most of his football for PSV on the left. I think that you know that's where they where where he's going to play most of his football. I think for Liverpool certainly initially. So so yeah, I think Nunes through the middle certainly for the the, the rest of this season and probably beyond that as well. I think when you look at the other candidates for that left hand side. But yeah, I think I think there has been a, a kind of an issue there as well in terms of adjusting to the as Andy said, you know, it's such a different type of number nine to what Liverpool had played with previously. 
under Klopp. And, and you've kind of seen that even at times this season where, of course, you know, when Firmino plays, it's just such a different look, isn't it? With Firmino, you know, loving to drop off into those pockets of space and link play. Well, Nunes primarily is more about, you know, wanting to burst in behind and, and use that you know amazing power and, and pace that he's got in the locker. So um, you, you can see there's definitely an element of him still getting used to his teammates and, and them getting used to him. But then, you know, I think, I think that is inevitable. We've all got high hopes for Gakpo, but when he comes in, is that going to be a problem, Andy? You know, you've got you got Nunes still learning the game, learning Liverpool's game. Gakpo's going to learn. You know, is is it going to gel, or is Gakpo going to be the one who sort of creates a monster in Nunes? I uh, well, I certainly hope that, that the latter. To be honest, um, it's it's difficult, isn't it? We, we you know you probably need a little bit more of a bigger sample size to sort of be able to start the term and that. But you certainly hope that Gakpo's introduction and I think generally just sort of that that extra attacker um, who, who has a goal threat and Gakpo likes to drift inside, which I think could dovetail quite well with Nunes in terms of you know Nunes being able to to sort of I guess drift into that left channel which he loves and, and sort of make those runs while Gakpo sort of might drift in and that sort of crossing movement, if you like. Um, that that's one way I can sort of see it see it working. Gakpo seems like a player who's you know from from the very you know what we saw against Wolves is someone who's, who's going to link play quite well in in terms of he's he's really really tidy on the ball and he, he looks like you know as, as he sort of even if it wasn't Nunes on the on the end of his you know his ball over the top for for Mo Salah's goal and I know that the defender gets a little bit ahead of a head on it but. If he's able to play those types of balls, that's obviously going to benefit Nunes. But I think there will be growing pains in that, you know, you know, you're not just bedding one player into a, a front three and, and how the and, and your system you you bend two for the short term before we get the Jotter and, and Diaz back. Um, but I think in, in a way it might help because again it's it's a bit more unpredictability to Liverpool's attacking front three. Um, and that no one quite knows what Nunes is going to do. No one quite knows what to expect from Gakpo yet, um, especially you know from an opposition style and, and how Liverpool are going to use him. So <clears throat> I think generally, hopefully, they will be able to connect sooner rather than later and, and, and gel. You know, when they're all fit, the attackers, there's a multitude of riches there. But on the other hand, you know, it's a it's a struggle when you're getting new players to try and fit in, and obviously Salah is the main man, but he's going to be 31 in June, and he can't go on forever. He, he doesn't show any sign of losing his pace at the moment, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. But, you know, you've got Firmino, the contract uncertainty. I mean, James, I'll come to you on that and, um, and ask you what you think's going to happen there. But, I mean, at the moment, we're looking at the future, aren't we? Perhaps a bit earlier than we expected. Yeah, and and I think you know Liverpool at the minute are, are just struggling to handle that 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 period of transition. I read quite a few things since I think it was in the wake of the Brentford defeat, really suggesting you know people saying you know this is an aging team and Liverpool are struggling with that. But to me, it's not. I think when you actually look at the age of the players that were involved at Brentford, to me, it's not actually. I don't. I don't think an aging team is the right way to describe it. I think it is more a team that's battling with that transitional period of moving from one team to another. And, you know, because I think you, know, you, you look at that Brentford game, I think the only three players on the pitch that were 30 or over were, were Salah, Thiago, Van Dijk. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't be questioning whether any of those three merited their starting place. But yeah, there is just this, this shift that, you know, of course, that every club has to go through at various, at various periods. And, and, the, and, the, and certainly the front line, we're seeing 
real evolution, aren't we? You, you, know, you re- rewind 12 months ago, you know, everyone was talking about how on earth are Liverpool going to handle this situation where, you know, at the time, Firmino, Mane, Salah, all down to the last 18 months of their contracts. They were either just turned 30 or just about to turn 30. And it was, this is a real kind of hot potato that that was there during the final months of Michael Edwards' reign as sporting director and then with Julian Ward taking over. And yeah, when you look at it since then, to bring in Diaz, Nunes and Gagpo, we are seeing, you know, them, you know, moving to the next, the next kind of, stage in the development of this of this team really when you you look at the ages of those players with you know what was Diaz is 25 Nunes and Gagpo both 23 so yeah I think that there's bound to be you know a, a bit of turbulence along the way obviously you've got Jota as well who's only only 26 and then you know right down the other end you've got you know we've seen the emergence of someone like Ben Doak um such an exciting young talent there was so much solidity wasn't there and continuity for so long with you know everyone knew that when the big games came along the front three was Salamane Firmino that was it was never really in doubt in terms of Firmino Klopp has been very consistent that he's desperate for Firmino to stay around he I was there the other week when he kind of dismissed the idea that they're signing a Gagpo is a sign that that Firmino is on his way we had talks with Bobby and I can say from my point of view I want him definitely to stay so that's his no impact. If that, if you mean with an impact that Bobby might, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I do. We have to ask Bobby about that. But from my point of view, no. As we know, once once a player gets to this stage of his contract, it's it's quite rare, isn't it, that a player does then turn around and sign an extension? Because I'm sure Firmino has got all kinds of offers, and then suddenly when. You know, when you're about to become a free agent, you've got the the financial factor of knowing that you know when a club doesn't need to pay a transfer fee for you, there's a usually a very hefty signing on fee that can head, head into your back pocket. So, um, I'd I'd love to see Firmino stay. I think it's just a case of would he be willing to to sign a one or a two year extension, which will probably be incentivized and linked to playing time, or you know, in terms of what's best for him and his family, is it? You know, is there is there a better offer and a longer contract on the table elsewhere? As for the way Liverpool operate in the market, we come back to where we started. Really, with Nunes, is it's always going to be a little bit hit and miss, isn't it? Because the way you know they can't buy the Harlands and all that. Of course, we hope that there'll be more hits than misses, and we've seen more hits than misses during the club era. And you could say that about the strikers too: more hits than misses, please. This is Walk On, brought to you by the Athletic, with Tony Evans, James Pearce, and Andy Jones. In towards Gerrard! Hello! Hello! Here we go! This is Walk On, a Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic, with James Pearce, Andy Jones and me, Tony Evans. Well, James, you were at Port Vale for the FA Youth Cup, 1-0 victory away from home. What were the kids like? Um, it, it was probably not a fair night to to judge them. I'd suggest because it was um, you know blowing a gale, chucking down with rain, very very heavy playing surface, and and also it was a it was a really young Liverpool team compared to what they could have put out. You know, of course, some of the the most talented youngsters at the club are, are training day in day out with the, with the first team, and you know the way that Liverpool do things. You know they. You know, if if a player can be on the bench for the first team, then you know that's viewed as a lot more beneficial for their development than than playing in a youth a midweek youth cup tie away at Port Vale. So there was 
know, people like Stefan Bassetic and Ben Doak were were nowhere near it. The only the only player who you know regularly trains with the first team who who was released to play for the 18s was was Bobby Clark, who who not surprisingly was by far and away the best player on the pitch. And um, yeah, they had to dig deep. Michael Laffey got the only goal from a from a keeping blunder. And they came under real pressure in the second half and Luke Hewitson in goal made some made some fine saves to to keep Port Vale out. So yeah, safely into the, the fifth round on a on a night when I think Man United got knocked out actually. They lost to Stoke and I know Everton have already gone out, so awaiting to see who they get. But I think um sounded like the real fireworks was at were, were at Kirby on the at the same time with uh, Billy Cometio obviously just come back from his loan at Austria Vienna scoring from inside his own half and uh, then helped himself to another one as well. And um, yeah, an impressive 4-2 win for Barry Lutus's under-21s against PSG. So um, yeah, a decent night all in for the academy. The kids are all right. And, and certainly in the FA Cup, they, they proved they can do it in a cold night in Stoke. It's, um, for those who don't know the geography, Port Vale's in Stoke. Um, <laughs> but well, let's move on to Brighton. Now, it's going to be a difficult game, isn't it, Andy? They drew 3-3 at Anfield in Zerbi's first game, and they've, they've become, they've become a, a, the sort of side that you're always a bit nervous about taking on. You know, it's, uh, they're well-organised, they can score goals, and they, they obviously look at the opposition. And you know, so even though there's been a transition of managers, they've got good scouting at the opposition, they know how to combat your game plan. Yeah, and if they if they turn up on on Saturday and do what they did for the first twenty five minutes at Anfield earlier in the season, then they're probably uh, <laughs> probably on the right on the way to victory because I think it could have they could have scored four in that opening sort of twenty twenty five minutes when Liverpool were were all over the place and, and Brighton just sort of ran ran rampant and you know found all those all those pockets in in you know around Liverpool's midfield and just played through all around them. That was the Zabi's first game, so it was it was quite interesting. Because no one quite knew what to expect, and then they sort of basically did what Brighton do, which is look really, really nice. But they've added that it certainly it seems this season, and the way they're playing at the moment, they've added that sort of ruthless streak, which which is always sort of a bit of a criticism of, of Brighton, wasn't it? That they did all this XG stuff, they, they were great on XG, but they never scored any goals. Whereas now they seem to have turned into a side who play the same way that they have been doing over you know in the last few years. But now they've added that sort of that cutting edge to it as well. You know, Liverpool, you would like to think have learned a lot from that first game because that first 25... And, and they did join the game, they did adjust and they did adapt and and obviously they came back and, and went ahead and, and then sort of that, that frail confidence of trying to hold on to a lead sort of, you know, caught up with them and, and Trossard just had one of those days where, where everything he did was was perfect. See, so they will have learned a lot because they cannot afford to, to go and set up and start like they did in that, in that home game because... The same thing's going to happen effectively. Um, they're going to they're going to be chasing a lot, and they're going to be given the run around, and 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 especially the way the midfields looked. Um, it's going to take you know they're going to have to produce a big performance, and they're going to have to get a lot of things right. And you would hope that this week's been spent doing a lot of work on the training ground, trying to trying to make sure that and, and prevent um, Brighton doing what they did in that in that home game. The spotlight's really going to be on Caicedo, James, isn't it? What's your view of the possibility of him pitching up at Anfield next year? Or, and what's your view on the possibility of him running that midfield on Saturday? 
<laughs> um, I've certainly got concerns on the latter point, yeah. You only have to look at that Brighton midfield unit. When I've seen them this season, they've been everything that you've kind of thought have been missing from Liverpool's midfield unit in terms of that kind of energy and, and dynamism and, and and a great balance to it as well with, you know, of course, you know, McAllister as well at a, you know, a fantastic World Cup with Argentina, you know, what, what a player he is as well. And yeah, Casido as well is having a having a fantastic season. So um yeah, that's this is a really, really dangerous game for Liverpool. You know, the record against Brighton at Anfield is is pretty dreadful. I think Brighton have won one and drew two of their last three visits. Yeah, Liverpool at the the Amex is, is pretty impressive. I think five wins out of six at the Amex. So Liverpool have got a decent record there, yet the reality is on current form, you, you could probably make a strong argument for Brighton going into this one as favourites. And if, if they were to beat Liverpool, they'd go above them in the table. So, um, yeah, it does feel like you know, a you know a huge, huge game in the context of the season because I think it would provide a huge, you know, a massive lift if Liverpool could go there and triumph. Yet being able to handle that kind of midfield axis that Brighton have got, which is so lively, will be key to the outcome. And in, in terms of Casino, he's, he's he's definitely someone who you know has got a lot of admirers at Liverpool. I'm sure Klopp will be eulogising about what a what a talent he is when he he does his press conference on. On Friday morning, but I think I think the only thing with that for me would be what kind of price it would take to to prize him away from there. Because I think you only have to look at some of the deals that Brighton have sanctioned that they drive a hard bargain, and you know not only do they do they buy well, but they sell well as well. When you look at the crazy fee they got off Chelsea for Cucurella, so yeah, I know there were some reports weren't there. I think even over Christmas and New Year in in Ecuador, suggesting that Liverpool had opened talks and had bid 50-odd, 60 million, but Brighton were holding out for 70. I mean, Liverpool were adamant that that was not true. And I know the the Brighton chief executive has since come out and said there have been absolutely no bids for him and, and no contact from Liverpool. And, and at the minute, you know, it's all very quiet in terms of those midfield reinforcements. You know, Liverpool's position has been that, that as things stand, unless a deal emerges that, that they think is they can do for at the at the right price, then you know it it, it doesn't look as if that there's going to be that you know the start of the mid midfield revamp this month that everyone is waiting for. But of course, you know there's things can change very fast. Just like this time last January, we weren't expecting Liverpool to to add to their squad then, and then you know the Diaz situation escalated very quickly. So um, so yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Casido um, similar to. Matthias Nunes last weekend will feel that uh, he's got a, a bit of a point to prove come Saturday. Yeah, well, that's that's worrying. It's, uh, I remember from the 80s, Brighton being a bogey team for us. They won at Anfield, I remember that. Got locked out, would you believe, and that's a way to get into three-quarter time to see um, them score a penalty and win. And then the, in 1984, the year uh, we did the treble, a treble, uh, they knocked us out the FA Cup. You know, So for me... Brighton away, the Goldstone ground, has always felt like a, a difficult place to go. And the Amex has been, although we've had some success there, it looks like it'll be no less easy on Saturday. At, um, it, it, this this is the game, sort of game, Andy, that we've definitely got to win if we're going to get in the Champions League. Yeah, I think James mentioned it there. It feels huge in the context because it's, you know, it's all about that momentum. I think for Liverpool at this point, they need to sort of find themselves... On a crest of a wave and sort of run, you know, take that and run into, you know, the next 
four, five, six fixtures and, and try and just put together a series of wins. I mean, it was four Premier League wins in a row before before Brentford, but obviously it didn't feel like that because of the, the huge break between two and two. But yeah, no, it does. It, you know, Liverpool's away form has been so poor this season that <laughs> the expectations are fairly low, but they have to win it. They do. They, because they, that gap is is already beginning to grow to that top four. And if you continue to just, you know, lose ground, there's going to come a point where no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to, to make up the, the, the gap. But yeah, it, it, it just because if you lose it, then suddenly it's, you sort of, you potentially sort of 10 points off or, you know, something like that. And, and that, you know, the confidence that just, it's, you know, not really there at the moment anyway, it's just going to, you know, sap even further. Yeah, we can end on a negative uh, note. You know what? Send me into the dressing room on Saturday. I'll give them a pep talk. You're Liverpool. They're Brighton. Go out, lads. Smash them. And they will, hopefully. And that's all for now from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James and Andy and you, the listener, for joining us. For more on Darwin Nunes, do check out Alan Shearer's column on The Athletic, where you'll find the best Liverpool writing around. And right now, you can subscribe for just one ninety nine a month for the first 12 months. That's an offer that's just too good to ignore. To take it up, head over to theathletic.com slash liverpoolpod. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. The Athletic.